Father in heaven, we do count it a great privilege that we can be in the house in this day. Lord, we are so thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we can experience, for the, in many ways, the relief of being able to come into thy house and to know that we can study thy word without being oppressed by forces outside, that our government has allowed us to peaceably do this. Lord, we, we know that in many places, even in this day, that there are those that would gather in, in secret and with fear of being persecuted for the same freedom that we have. And so, Lord, we're, we're just so thankful for it and pray that we would not take it for granted. Pray that our minds and our hearts would be um, relieved of, of distractions of this earth, Lord, of, of distractions of this life and the things that we encounter. Pray that our, our hearts could be focused on your word to understand in another way or in an additional way a message that you'd have for each of us. Pray that it would come to us collectively and speak to us collectively as well as individually for the walk that we would each have in the week to come. Father, be with the many who would desire to be with us. Speak to them in their quiet places in this day. And and Father, impart a blessing as well. And again, as we're thankful to look into your word, we'll give you thanks for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. I have two scriptures that I'd like to look at this morning with you. Um, the first one to, to look at would be Luke uh, chapter 5, the fifth chapter of Luke. And just as a, as a preface, the, the reason there's two, two scriptures to look at is I, I, I heard a song this week um, that was generally speaking about Christ's examples, the examples of Christ's interactions with people, and the way, the way that he worked with, with the people that he encountered. Um, and we could pick a thousand examples in Scripture to, to show that, but these two particular examples I, I thought were really poignant, and I have to give the preface that this, this message is probably more so than many that I've had over the last couple of months and years, this is a work in progress for me. This is one that I'm, uh, many, many of you, probably all of you do a much better job of what I'm going to exhort us to this morning than I do. And so I pray that you bear with me in that. I don't, this isn't coming from a place of expertise. This is coming from a place of working this out for myself, um, and so I'd, I, I frankly would probably look forward to some encouragements maybe at the end uh, for those of you who have had much more experience. With that, let's, let's just read some verses. We'll start in chapter 5 uh, of Luke, starting with verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they, had this, and when they had this done, 
they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their nets break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come down and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners unto Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, for from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had taken their, or when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. We'll stop at verse eleven. What I'd like to do is to look at the, the other example is going to be in John that we'll look at. But I'd like to take these two pieces and, and maybe unpack them a little bit just to, to dig into these two examples, um, starting with this one here with Jesus calling his disciples. We, we know the song, right? We, we sing the song with the kids. I think we even did this last week. I will make you fishers of men. In other Gospels, this story is, is condensed a little bit. It says, Jesus walked by the water, he saw the fishermen, and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The way that Luke breaks this down is he, he gives the story of, of Jesus interacting with these disciples, these fishermen, and gets down into the work with them. The story, we started here in chapter 5, but if you look at chapter 4, the end of chapter 4 has Jesus with these interactions um, with the multitude where he's casting out devils and he's um, doing all of these signs and wonders and the people are pursuing him and, and following him around and, and trying to hear more and trying to hear more. And he gets, uh, it says in verse 43, he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent and he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. And then we transitioned to chapter 5. And it came to pass that the people pressed on him to hear more. They wanted to hear more. And he's standing up against the lake. And there's, the people are coming, and they're coming, and they're coming. And he needs a little bit of space. And so he looks, and there's a boat. And he says, to, well, there's two boats. He says to Peter, to Simon, uh, take me out just a little bit. So, you know, get, get me back from the press. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not one that, I've, I've been around boats my entire life. Some street preacher comes up and says, take me out a little bit in the boat, or let me go out on the boat. I'm not letting him go by myself, by himself. I'm going to be there in the boat with him. I'm going to make sure that things are going well. I, I'm nervous when people that know our boat want to take it out themselves. I, I still feel like I need to, to be there to help. But by, the, by being there to help, by being there to stabilize the boat, to hold it in place, I mean, I imagine he might have even been just standing in, you know, waist-deep water holding the vessel. He had a front-row seat to what Jesus was preaching. And we don't get to read what that was. We don't know what that, uh, that particular message was this time. But Simon Peter was there as a captive audience hearing Christ. Now, when that was done, you would think, we know from what we read already, that they had already toiled the night. They had already been out all night long fishing. And now they're standing, holding the boat for a sermon. And then when the sermon's done, the man says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. 
You'd already finished fishing and you were cleaning your nets when he showed up. So work was done for the day. The boat was put away. Now you've taken it out again. You've got to go out. He's saying, I want you to, let, let's go out fishing a little bit more. If this was the time of day to go fishing, they would have already been doing it. They had already finished what they had planned to do. It wasn't successful. And this non-fishing non carpenter says to them, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. I'm not an expert in many things. I'm not an expert in anything. I won't even give myself the many. I'm not an expert in anything, but one thing I think I do okay is back up a boat trailer. I've had plenty of experience doing that, and that's one thing that I feel comfortable doing. Now, I'm not superstitious, but I probably should knock on wood so that the next time is not a problem. But there's one, if there's something that I border on being prideful in, it's backing up a trailer. Monday, we were blessed to be able to take the boat out. It was a holiday. Skinny Atlas launch was packed, so we had to go to the marina in Skinny Atlas, which means you have to park far away. The navigating of backing into the water is a little bit, little bit funny. Um, Uncle Hans can attest to this. When they back your boat in, they used to do it with a trailer. Now all the boats are all floating, so nobody has to back anything other than the people that are bringing their boats. And there were a bunch of folks lined up on the dock that didn't know what they were doing and didn't know how, and it was just, it was just our family, just me, Ashley, and the kids. And I took pride in backing my truck for the first time, never did that before with the lineman, and backed it onto the deepest part of the launch where I wasn't going to have a dock next to me, meant I had to jump into the boat, back it off, put it on the side. I really, really took a lot of pride in that. As you can see, bordering on something I have to have a problem with. But you know what drives me crazy is when I'm pulling up to the launch, this happened a couple years ago with an antique boat show, and we do the service of backing people's track or trailers into the water, and these people telling me how to do it. Somebody that I can see you have no idea what you're doing, but you're going to tell me how to do it. That drives me bananas. I don't take instruction well most of the time, but when it's something I know I do better than you, it really bugs me. Peter, we know, is not a um, passive, quiet person. We know he's not one that usually... He takes instruction well from what we saw, but here he's been up all night, he's been fishing, he didn't catch a thing. I don't... En I mean, I enjoy fishing, I like spending time... I don't enjoy fishing when I don't catch things, I, I enjoy it marginally when I do catch things. They had not caught anything, they were cleaning the boats up, they now had stood next to the boat, holding it so he could have a service, and Jesus says, I want you to go fishing. The carpenter said, go fishing. I don't know how I would have responded. Probably wouldn't have been as nice as, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And we know what happened. We know that because of the obedience, we know because Jesus said so, they let down the nets and they caught more fish than they could handle. Started breaking the nets. But what I never thought of before was where was Jesus when this was all happening? He wasn't still on the shoreline. He wasn't commanding them to go out. There is another example we read in Scripture where he told them to put the nets on the other side of the, the boat. and he, This time he was in the boat. If the nets were breaking, I can, it doesn't say so, but I can't imagine he wasn't there in the mess with them working to pull those nets up. 
He commanded them, told them to do what they needed to do, and then he stayed in the boat with them. He didn't walk across the water to go back onto the shore. He was still there with them. He taught them a lesson. He showed them how the, how the miracle was going to happen. The miracle came forward and took place, and then he was there to work with them to pull the, pull the nets back up. It strikes me. It strikes me as a, this, this one example that we have where Christ was not passive in his teaching of his disciples. He wasn't standing up at a pulpit, for example, and bellowing down to them at how something was supposed to happen. He said, I want to go with you. I'm going to go with you. I want you to let these nets down. And I'm going to be there to help you pull those nets back up. We have all kinds of different examples of that. And I mean, in this case, he was calling his disciples. But we're going to transition to read this next passage more examples of people where Jesus sat down to teach in a connected way. When Zacchaeus was, was trying to see the Lord, not somebody that he would have associated with, not somebody that he was even supposed to associate with, but as he is approaching, he sees the wee little man up in the, the tree and says, I'm going to your house today. I'm not going to command you from here to make penance for all of your stealing and your tax evasion and all that kind of stuff. I'm coming to your house to have dinner with you so we can talk about these things and I can encourage you to to change your life. The example where he he goes to, uh, is it to Matthew's house? He goes to Matthew's house and it says, sits down with um, tax collectors and sinners. The instruction that he was making with them was a tangible, connected one. It wasn't that he was excusing what was happening, but he was there to make a connection, to, to teach in I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but I'm going to use this example in a contact-driven way. The the next passage that was in the song, so I'm not going to say that I saw the connection right away, but when I looked into it further, it was was kind of remarkable. This example that I mentioned about how the scribes and the Pharisees would, would judge and teach and proclaim from afar. They would drop condemnation from you know, 10,000 feet, and would judge the people in a, in a disconnected way. In John chapter 8, we've got another example. One that is, it's a hard story to, to follow. It's a hard story to, to work out because there's so many things that I just don't like about the story and ones that I even struggle to, to kind of tie together, but I, I hope that it, it Hope that we can do that today. Let's we'll read just a few verses. John chapter eight. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came out unto him, and sat down and taught him. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, the in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This say, they said, tempting him that they, might have, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger on the ground wrote as though he heard them not. And when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that, hath, he that is without sin among you let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, being at the el- beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus had left, and when Jesus had lifted himself and saw none of her, but the women, excuse me, when Jesus had lifted himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hast no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Stopping at verse 11. This, this is a story that I've, we've read this, okay, this is exaggeration, but a thousand times. And pulled out little pieces of the story each time to, to, to jump on. And, and we'll, we'll question, what was Jesus writing in the, in the dirt? What was it that he was writing? And, and there are, it, we don't know, we'll find out in heaven, but we can presume or we've assumed at times that he was writing out the record of what these accusers had done. Um, we've wondered, well, where was you know, the other half of this sinful party? All of these different things. But I don't think I ever put, I, I don't think I ever put together maybe the, the broader look of this. I always maybe took this as a, they, they found this woman. This was this, this terrible thing that had been uncovered, and they said, okay, well, let's see what Jesus thinks. But the reality of what took place here, and I'm not, I'm not going to dig in too far and don't want to be too graphic about this. Where was Jesus? It says, first of all, he, he, had, been, he had been preaching just, just before. He had been frustrating the scribes and the Pharisees because he kept giving teachings to them. You know what? i, I got to read a little bit before this. Um, verse 40 of the chapter before says, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others says, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh from the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers of the chief, to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and said unto him, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never spake man like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knew not the law are cursed. Nicodemus said unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went to his own house. And Jesus went out unto the Mount of Olives, and then went to the temple to teach. We've got this conflict that's taking place where they don't know what to do with Jesus. They're trying to find something to, to stick on him, that would be contrary to the law. There would be something that they could throw at him as being a heretic, let's say. And so he takes himself, he goes to the Mount of Olives, probably prepares himself for verse 2, and early in the morning came again into the temple, and many people gather around him. He's the teacher. He's there teaching the people. He has them gathered around. There's a group, a multitude, that have come to listen to the teacher. And at this moment, the scribes, and the Pharisees, those that would have been the experts in 
teaching the law and those that would be the experts in enforcing the law, come and bring this woman. It says this woman caught in adultery in the very act. The interesting part about this, they throw out to Jesus to say, you know that Moses in the law says that we should stone her, but tell us what we should do. The reality of this, of the law portion of this was, this is how crazy this gets, was in order for someone to be stoned for this offense, there had to be two eyewitnesses and their stories had to be 100% consistent. Consequently, it was very rare for somebody to be stoned for this offense. And yet, so what we have to deduce by the fact that the man's not there and that they bring her with this claim of being, um, of being caught in the very act, that this is the setup of all setups. I'm not condoning and I'm not excusing, we'll talk about that part in a second, the, the sinful activities. But the brutality of what was done to this woman, it gives me, makes me nauseous and gives me goosebumps at the same time. Because it says that they cast her into the midst. Jesus is having a Bible study and they throw this woman, effectively come from the scene of the crime, into the middle of it and says, what should we do with this? Jesus' reaction is, is remarkable, right? There would have been, this would have been an opportunity for him to raise all of the hypocrisy that he was seeing in front of him. For condemn, he could have condemned her. He could have condemned the, the accusers. He could have said, where's the guy? He could have made a thousand different things. And rather than take this up to the next level, rather than make this more embarrassing for this person, rather than making this more um, tawdry. Jesus stoops down and with his finger on the ground as though he heard, him, heard them not. Imagine what this does to the rest of the room. Jesus is surrounded by people teaching and they're going after him with something that is it, it's, it, spine tingling. And he simply bends down and starts writing in the dirt. Dismissive of their claim in the first place. Dismissive of what, whatever they were bringing at him. And so they press on him. They, 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 they want to know, that, listen, you gotta, we, this is legitimate. You've got to render some opinion here, great master teacher. So when he continued asking him, he lifted up himself. And again, I, I just imagine in a, in a slow and composed way, he said, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And bends down, and maybe even for, the microphone's here, so I won't do it. But for, for more effect, bends down, turns around, turns from them, and continues doodling in the dirt. And again, someday we'll find out what that was that he was writing. And it says that they left, and again, why did they leave? Maybe Jesus, if he was writing down their their record, maybe he did it from the oldest to the youngest. But for some reason, they leave from the oldest to the youngest being convicted of their own sin. Now, I don't know if the rest of the multitude that was there that, to hear Jesus preach, the way I take it is that everybody dispersed. Everyone disperses and is gone. 
And at this moment, Jesus turns around and says, where are your accusers? Of course, he knows, this is the most obvious question, he knows where the accusers are, he knows what's taking place, but he asks, where are your accusers? And has no man condemned you? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, we could have taken the passage of the woman at the well and unpacked that a little bit more because and, 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 there's more dialogue that takes place. But this passage is interesting to me because I think, I can't say that I've heard it explicitly said, but I would venture to say that there is a, a bend or a persuasion uh, that, that folks could use this as Jesus excusing the sin that he, that he saw took place. That he was excusing it. That he was somehow absolving her from it. That's not the case. He says, I don't condemn you. He didn't say, I condone it. He said, neither do I condemn you. But then he told her, what should she do? Go, repent, and sin no more. Make a change in your life. We don't know what happens to this woman after the fact. But we know that when Jesus encountered this, his reaction was not to rain down holy hellfire. And if we look at Scripture, that's kind of the reaction that he had in each case. When he confronts and talks to the woman at the well, and he says, where's your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, ha I know. And he, he almost leads her into this conversation where he can expose the sinful nature or the sinful actions in her life and to have her go and repent of them. In the same way here, because of an interaction that he has, because he didn't flee from it, he didn't step back out of the crowd and condemn all of the hypocrisy that he saw, he is able to have a reaction, or excuse me, he was able to have an interaction with this woman, and we pray it was an interaction that made a change in her life for the good. And for the, the, the continued good. The reason that these two passages struck me was, was the connection, right? Was this connection of Jesus making, taking action, and having tangible connection with people. And this is where I say, I, I am not good at this. I want to be good at this. And many of you are, are very good at this in your, in your ministries, of reaching out and, and talking to and touching and helping folks that are struggling with different things. Maybe life decisions, maybe sinful um, actions in their lives, or whatever. In those places where others would otherwise run, being there to speak love and truth and teaching into their lives. And it's something that I, I really am convicted that I need to make a better effort at. And the reason is because it's so easy in this world, it's so easy in this particular time to take a political or social or whatever ull position and, and drop big news statement bombs on things. I'm condemning homosexuality. I'm condemning abortion. I'm condemning whatever it is, drug addiction. But I'm not there writing in the dirt trying to help that person out of it. I'm not there in the boat trying to pull the net up to show them that when God says a miracle's happening, a miracle's going to happen. And I'm going to be there to help you pull the net up. I... I 
I wrote this statement because I was, I knew I wasn't going to be eloquent when I was trying to say it this morning, but behind political and social talking points are people, not just for whom Christ died, but also for whom Christ ate with, but I can't even read it eloquently, but also with whom Christ ate and drank and taught and served. It's, it's really easy as the kid that likes to listen to uh, political podcasts and likes to listen and read political history books and things like that. It's very easy for me to have those political and social talking points. I'm good at that. But the action points are harder for me. And I think it's something that we, we have to exercise ourselves. We have to, to take opportunity to make connections. And I've had, we've had a couple in our lives that have gotten uncomfortable. And that's probably good. They got uncomfortable and then they disappeared for a little while. Well, they started to come back around. And we looked at each other and went, I don't, this, I'm not all that excited about this boomerang. But what it means, what, what it said to me was, in the meantime, when things were quiet, I didn't do a good enough job of preparing myself. I didn't do a good enough job of seeking direction from the Lord as to, where's Zacchaeus? Did I, am I ready for the wee little man? Am I ready to look for the wee little man in the tree that I'm supposed to go find? I pray that I'm not in the synagogue and somebody is thrown in the middle and you have to address that kind of a thing. I pray that that doesn't happen. But if it does, how am I prepared to show the level of compassion that the Lord would have me to show? And maybe if I'm not, what are some of the steps, what are some of the actions that I can take What are some of the opportunities that I can take to put myself out there a little bit, to be a bit more uncomfortable so that the Lord can add direction and instruction in my life so that I can be more comfortable when those opportunities would arise? I listened to, uh, I was driving yesterday, and I listened to, some of you probably heard this this week, uh, Focus on the Family had, uh, I can't remember what the lady's name was, Ashley had apparently heard this a couple years ago. Um, This woman that had, needed an extra picnic table. And so she put a turquoise table, put a picnic table in her front yard, painted it turquoise. And it became like the neighborhood table where their family would do their normal family things. She would, I'm I'm guessing, I kept thinking, she's probably cutting coupons or writing her shopping list or doing homework or whatever. But they would do it at this table in their front yard under a tree and all of a sudden the neighbors started coming around, around this table. Coincidentally, we bought two Adirondack chairs and put them in our front yard. I didn't realize that we did this. I, I realized we bought them, but Ashley put them in the front yard to have that same experience. And it's worked that way a little bit for us, that it's been something that the neighbors would come to and we could have better relationships and tighter relationships with our neighbors. But you know, I've never studied the word in the front yard. I've never taken my Bible and read my Bible in the Adirondack chairs in the front yard. I, that was... I, I don't know. I would tell you that that's, I don't want the distraction, right? The man across the street is putting up new metal roofing. The dogs are walking by. Like, if I'm studying, I don't want to do it in the front yard. But I listened to this podcast yesterday as I was driving, and I thought, you know what? Um, I, I, should, I should do this. I lost my nerve. I went on the back deck and was studying last evening. And lo and behold, one of the neighbors comes by and says, 
You know, I have a friend who, uh, who teaches Bible class at his church. And I'm not, you know I'm not a Bible guy, but I love just giving him little zingers. And I told him, did you know what my favorite proverb is? And he said the guy dropped, him, like, dropped whatever he was holding and couldn't believe that this guy had a Bible, knew what, a, knew what Proverbs was. And he said, my favorite proverb is Proverbs 3. And I'm just waiting for the punchline. And he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I just love that one. And he said, I told my friend, he's like, I got no understanding to lean on anyway, so I don't, I, I'm just not going to lean on my own understanding. And I'm like, my jaw is on the floor. I'm thinking, this is, this is peanuts, folks. I'm not making, take the first disclaimer. I, I know not whereof I speak on this. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, well, what am I supposed to say to this? And he said, he quoted it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And so I said, yeah, I love that part, but then it says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And he looked concerned and said, yeah, but I, I just really, I need to, I don't want to lean on my own understanding. There was something about the acknowledgement of having to acknowledge God in all your ways and that he'll direct your path. That was very unsettling. And he got on his heel and, and went back home. And I stayed out there for a little bit longer and I thought to myself, you know, Lord, why does it take, why have I not been willing to do that before? Why have I not taken my, my Bible outside to, to do this before? I mean, the first time I sat on my back deck, somebody shows up. I don't have a turquoise table. I didn't do this in the front yard. But sometimes I look at my life and I wonder, why, why am I not having more interactions? Why am I not having more opportunities to, to speak with someone? It's, you know what? I'm not taking the opportunity. I'm not making an effort. I'm too willing to make a post on Facebook that says, this is what I believe. But then if I see that person in the grocery store, I sure wouldn't tell them the same thing. I'm willing to drop a cute anecdote when I'm getting into the car, knowing that I have a buffer zone here that I'm not going to have to have a hard conversation with my neighbor. When the reality is that there are fields all around us, and comfortable ones at that. Comfortable ones. Some of your ministry fields are far less comfortable than the one I'm even talking about. And I need to get more uncomfortable, and I'm making a promise to seek to do that. But even for the ones that should be joyful to us, that should be those interactions where we get to share of the hope that we have, to share of the, the, the love that we feel from Heavenly Father who has redeemed us, why we can be those that have a purpose and, and can see peace in a chaotic world. Why wouldn't I want to share that? Why would I not want to seek opportunity to sit in my front yard and when somebody comes by and say, it's a beautiful day, yeah, do you know why? Do you know why it's a beautiful day? Because I know my name is written in heaven. Do you want to know about that? I don't remember what the brother's name was, but there was a brother from Wycliffe Lake, I remember, came up for uh, something. Bill Husty. And I remember him walking in the doors. I'd never met him before. And he said to Dad, he was just doing general introductions, and I don't remember what the... Anyway, he had just come from Murphy's Convenience Store to buy gas, maybe, or something. And in the 30 seconds he was talking to that woman at the, the convenience store, he had gotten down to why it was a beautiful day, what the purpose for it was. Did you know that there's a church right around the corner that would help you learn about those things? 
Unfortunately, most of the world would say that's a little weird. And I don't like being weird. I'm weird enough as it is. I don't need more opportunity for it. And I don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations. But when I look at what Jesus did, when Jesus was going to teach somebody, he didn't do it from 10,000 feet. He got in the boat with them and pulled the nets up. And when there was somebody that needed healing and needed compassion and needed an advocate, he stood there in the dirt, was embarrassed by the brutality of the folks around him, and he didn't leave until they were gone. And I pray that for me, I'm thankful to know that it's not, that most of you don't have that same issue of being immovable in this particular respect. But I pray that in the coming days and weeks and moments, that my heart and my mind would be more motivated to see those opportunities and not just see them, but take them. And perhaps, um, perhaps that can be a goal for all of us. Pray the Lord would bless these words.